Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. As you know, my wife and I used to uh, live in India and, uh, and work there. And uh, about 10 years ago, I was actually partnering with uh, a, a, an organisation we partnered quite a lot with, IJM, International Justice Mission, and was up in uh, Calcutta, up in the north. And uh, um, we were there and uh, working and looking at some of the, the ministry opportunities that were there amongst uh, a place called Sonagachi. Sonagachi is about uh, a square kilometre filled with about 10,000 sex workers. And uh, there's amazing ministry that is going on in looking at rescuing, looking at how to help, because many of these women actually are there not by their own choice. I heard of a story uh, at 13 years of age, a woman called Sonali, who was stolen from her village, dragged to the back streets of Sonagachi, Calcutta, sold into prostitution, and then her first customer (laughs) drugged her, raped her. And that was her ongoing life story until she came to IJM. This is a picture of another IJM recent work that's been done in releasing this man here called Kazi. Uh, Kazi and his family were enslaved for 15 years alongside 13 other families for a $20 US dollar default loan. Every day, these families, they face unspeakable cruelty and deprivation from racist verbal tirades to physical beatings working long hours, the use of starvation and dehydration as punishment. And uh, 16 children amongst those families never went to school. Two weeks ago, a woman had to give birth to a baby out in the open field. The good news is Kazi and all of those families are now free. (laughs) Praise God. And that's not an uncommon kind of story throughout the world. That's not an India issue. I use those because I've I've been there, I've connected, and and some of the recent stuff that has been going on with the International Justice Mission. But did you know that there are more people trapped in slavery today than ever before in human history? Than ever before. You can combine all of it in previous years and add today, and it's more, over 50 million Children, women and men are beaten, raped, starved in an industry that is worth a US $150 billion a year. And we kind of look at it and we think we're so removed from it. And in today's passage, we're reading about slaves and masters, men and women, children, fathers, mothers, But this kind of story, this wasn't far from the the, the Colossians. 
This wasn't far from what was happening in the church at Colossae as they were uh, looking to be able to uh, kind of navigate what is happening in their world as the rest of the world and the empire which they faced, that Roman empire at that time and everything that was normal about it out there was now countercultural within the church. And Paul's writing this letter and he starts just like we started in our worship this morning with lifting up the name of Jesus and talking about the supremacy of Jesus. Talking about really the answer is Jesus and in Him. And now in these last couple of weeks that we've been looking at, last week as Pastor Scott brought us the message from Colossians chapter 3 and I'll continue on from there, Paul gets really practical in his encouragement to this group of people he's never met before. And he wants them to take this alternative kingdom that they belong to into an alternative lifestyle that would bring about alternative relationships to in fact change for an alternative society. And that's what we read about today. Ancient Rome was a man's world. It's important we understand, understand the vast extent of child abuse, of slavery, and the treatment of men and women in the, 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 well, particularly women, sorry, and children in the first century, and just how cruel it was. Men held the purse strings, they had the power, whether it was in politics, economics, and certainly within the family. Families were dominated by men. They ruled over their household. If, if, if his children or family angered him, he had the legal right to be able to send them away, send them to slavery, and even kill them. So as you can imagine, what we're about to read in just a moment that Paul is writing in his teaching is accompanied by a great deal of tension as, as the church is in a totally different reality, an alternative reality to the one of the society that surrounds them. Paul's saying that the church should be utterly and totally different and counterculture to the rest of society. So right in the middle of this tension between husband and wives and fathers and children and mothers, I mean, and masters and slaves, Paul has some really clear and practical instructions about alternative relationships. If you've got your Bibles there, let's open up to Colossians chapter 3. We're reading from verses 18 and we'll just sneak over into chapter 4 verse 1. might have the heading in your Bible, Instructions for Christian Households. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to carry their favour, but with sincere, sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, masters, Paul's kind of talking about a whole household arrangement of a then modern day first century Roman Empire family in Colossae. For some, Paul's just way too passive. Paul doesn't condemn the brutality of husbands against wives. He asks them to submit. Nor does he call for the uh, abolishment of slavery. Yet neither does he condone slavery or the degradation of women and children in these verses. He addresses a cultural reality within the church. He recharacterizes relationships that exist. He, his emphasis here to the Colossians, as well as in his letter to Ephesians, and again, it talks about it in the Corinth, to the church in Corinth, is that there are to be no distinctions from within the church. In Christ, there is neither slave nor free, man or woman. There is no Jew nor Gentile. Everyone is found in Jesus. And while we could go into a a great deal of what Paul is saying to husbands and to wives, to masters, to slaves, to children and fathers and all of those elements that are in there and could probably get a lot out of it, what strikes me in this passage is the alternative society Paul encourages that is based on an alternative relationships to how relationships are run in the rest of the world. See, there's two main things that I get out of this passage when I'm reading it. And Paul, again, reinstates the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. And as he does so, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if pleasing to the Lord. N.T. Wright paraphrases it like this. He says, so work for the true master, Christ. See, as believers, Christ becomes the central point for all of our interpersonal relationships. It becomes about Him. Love God, love others. But Paul challenges the social norm and he calls that church to something higher. He calls the church to Christ's way. See, God is not bound by culture. So we're not trying to put this off to a first century culture and say it doesn't really relate to us today. We're not saying that, oh, well, uh, slaves and masters, we kind of don't have that kind of dynamic. You may not like your boss, all right? Not my staff, but you're, you know, you, you may not like your boss, right? If you're self-employed, well, there you got an issue, right? But, you, but, but you're probably not a slave to them. Some of you are going, you don't know my boss right now. 
But see, God is not bound by culture. We can't shift this whole identity to something that is in another country either. Paul is revolutionising the cultural norm. Husbands, wives, fathers, slaves, masters must be, have behaving in entirely different ways as spirit-filled people. Mutual submission, respect, love, honesty, in order to reorient relationships to the first point of love God and love others. The God in whom there is no partiality sees no distinction between male and female, slave and free. In the Lord, there are no such class differences. These people were probably going to be regarded as traitors in a society that was obsessed with power. But the Christ-centered, spirit-directed life demands revolutionary behavior. We cannot simply run our relationships when Christ is supreme and fully sufficient for each of us as followers of him in the same way the rest of the world runs their relationships, whether it's in your marketplace, your family, whether it's in your school or your university, whether it's in you know, your neighbourhood, wherever it is, however the dynamic looks for you in your relationships, Paul is encouraging not just the church in Colossae, but us to lift to a higher standard because we're in Jesus. And don't allow the the swirl of what the world says about relationships to enter into how we treat them or one another. And I think here lies the message for us today. We live in a world that's still majority of self-made success and cultural progress and, 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 and one which still rages with racial tension. And I think the emerging generation are more concerned with equality and things that affect many people and all generations, like environmental issues. But there are vast swathes of our society that are still mostly concerned with looking after number one. Certainly, our Western lifestyle promotes doing all you can to succeed. Climb that corporate ladder. Out-achieve your rivals, regardless of the expense to others. Play the social game of entitlement and power and prestige where the strong control the weak. But in Christ, there's an alternative society, a new way of relating that brings life. See, in the kingdom, we're offered an alternative from playing the game that the society plays to win at all costs to living a life surrendered to Christ, a life of service. And today I want to look at how we can maybe replace the leveraged relationships of inequality and injustice for self-gain with a better way of loving God and loving others. See, Jesus' plan, whether he's going to transform the world by ascending into heaven, giving us his Holy Spirit, and then taking this tiny alternative community called the church (laughs) and just let it go. Quite staggering, isn't it, really? 
quite an audacious plan if you think about it. We know Rodney Stark is a sociologist in a book called The Rise of Christianity calculated that, that Christians at, uh, and Christianity, how it spread at a rate of about 40% per decade after Christ's ascension. Now, at about 40 AD, a few years after Jesus went to, uh, to be with his Father in heaven, there are roughly 5,000 Christians or more, but roughly about that, right? Probably a bit more, but somewhere around there. That's a negligible 0.0075% of the Roman Empire. Okay? How's that going to make a difference? It keeps going because by 350 AD, there were 33 million Christians or 56% of the Roman Empire. That can change a whole society, and it did. How did it happen? Was it because they were better about arguing about their faith than all the other faiths that surrounded them? I don't think so. Was it because they were, they were more well-heeled, they had more resource? Well, obviously not. It was because the presence and the way of Jesus in their midst created a community like the world had never seen. Words from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Say filled with awe. When was the last time you came to church and you were filled with awe? Maybe this morning. Thank you. Bless you. And there were many wonders and miraculous signs. More, Lord. They became so generous, they were, there was no needy persons among them, and then they joined the favour of all the people. Eugene Peterson translates that last part like this. People looked at the church and they liked what they saw. People looked at the church and liked what they saw. Can that be said about the church in Australia today? The people look at the church in Australia today and say, I like what I see. Newsflash, you're the church. The church might be a little on the nose, a little stinky, a little untrustworthy, but you're not because you have legitimate close relationships in society that's running in a totally different direction, but they like you and you represent Jesus. The church can do it again. The way of Jesus in sending out this alternative community of people in order to make a whole alternative societal change is still alive and well today, but it rests with you and me. The new church, they said to themselves, this church in Colossae, well, Jesus didn't treat people the way the world's treating people. Jesus said that he, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this had real life implications. You can imagine a gathering of the church. It wasn't like this. They, they weren't going and invading synagogues or other places of worship. They were hosting church in their homes. But can you imagine if you're a slave now entering the home of a wealthy person, an elite, 
And here, you're, you're, as you come in, someone's washing your feet. It, it happens to be the owner of the house who also then serves you food. You've never seen such a thing in all your life because you're a slave. That's normally your job. But here, the master is doing it to you because they took on the serious implication that alternative relationships meant that we're not going to treat each other like the rest of the world says, okay, we bring ourselves unto a higher standard under Jesus. Imagine the tears in their eyes as they looked at each other. In the ancient world, it was better to be born a baby boy than a girl. One historian writes, exposure of unwanted female infants, the practice of just abandoning them, leaving them to die somewhere outside, was not only legal, it was morally accepted and widely practiced by all social classes in the Greco-Roman world. But here's this new community that remembers that Jesus treated women differently. He invited them in to come and follow him. He included them within his community. He thought that all of life was sacred. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was and he said the heart of the whole deal, right from way back, and you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter six, or right now in Mark chapter 12, he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord, Lord, our God is one. Him shall you love with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he adds something on the end of it. That he says his second commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, all of life's sacred, all of life's to be revered. Little baby boys, little baby girls, men, women, slave, free, Isn't it wonder that this community started to take off and grow? And Jesus said to this tiny group of people before he left the earth, here's the strategy. I'm leaving, but you're getting the Holy Spirit. Cool. And then I'm just going to let you loose. He's going to be with you to guide you, to empower you. And he did. And it changed the world. And now it's River Life's turn. And I want to talk about what it means maybe to live as an alternative community in order to see an alternative society. To see how we live in a love-centered liberty, not only so relationships might be changed, but society can change too. I'm not talking about building more Christian schools so we can keep our kids safe. I'm not talking about building, you know, communities where we can gather and put up a big wall around the outside and say, we'll be safe in here. I'm talking about how do we see society change just relationship by relationship by relationship. It says in Proverbs, just this one little verse, Proverbs 11 verse 10. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Tim Keller says this means a certain certain group of people that when they rise to the top of their field, when they make it, nobody around them is envious. Nobody complains or grumbles. These people have such high character that people around them say, this is good news for everybody. The whole community. This is good news for our city. 
Now, in our day, that, that word righteous is unfortunate. It's lost all of its beauty, really. Usually it means that someone who is self-righteous, that's whenever you're going to hear the word righteous, it's on itself when, of course, that, you know, rarely is someone going to come up to you and, and say you're righteous and mean it as a compliment. Unless when I was a kid and it was accompanied by the words, you know, babe or dude or totally, but that theologically is not the same thing. Keller says that biblically the righteous ones are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. They're willing to disadvantage themselves in order to bless the community. Of course, this is the model of Jesus, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Who though he was rich, for our sake, for your sake, he became poor so that you through him might become rich. Not financially, just a blessing. Rich in our souls. And Jesus spent a lot of time redefining what it means to be righteous. He used other illustrations like salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill. A new community that is infused with that kind of light. Can't be hidden. It means being the people of whom others would say, you know, I don't believe what she believes, but I'm thankful she's a part of our company. You know, I'm thankful she's a part of this because we need what she's got. That's the righteous one and about Jesus talking. Jesus' gospel is not, I'm going to tell you the minimal entry requirements so that you might be able to get into heaven when you die. Your life insurance policy. That's not the kingdom he came expressing. It's, it's the entrance into the kingdom he talks about. But the entrance, that's the, that's the gospel of salvation of which he is that vehicle. <laughs> Jesus died for our sins. He then says, so that you might live in this kingdom way in order that you might be on display so that your life, church, actually makes a difference to the rest of society when it's under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus said, it's now this kingdom through my body, through my life, through my teachings here. It's right now, you can join it. That's the good news. And think about this. It's good news for people who don't even believe it. You have somebody in your neighborhood that comes under the authority of Jesus and gives their life to Jesus and they start acting like a follower of Jesus because now they're empowered by his Holy Spirit and they start moving through the street. They start talking about Jesus, but they start demonstrating what the kingdom looks like and they're loving and they're kind and they're generous and they reach out and they, they, they pray for people and they see healing and they see all sorts of wonderful things take place in of the kingdom. That's good news for everybody in the neighborhood, regardless of whether they believe it or not, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. It's good news for their neighbors, whether they're Hindu, Muslim, atheist, doesn't matter. It's good news for the office. It's good news for the university. It's good news for the school. If the gospel isn't good news for everybody, it's not good news to anybody. Oh, come on, I know this is a Baptist church, but that deserved an amen. <laughs> if it's not good news for everybody, it's not good news for anybody. 
and we're supposed to be the walkers out of this good news. See, the church isn't a religious service provider. The mission of the church is not to make sure that inside these four worlds, everything goes okay. That's only half of the story. Yes, building up disciples who might do what? Represent Jesus out there through alternative relationships, bringing alternative community to an alternative society hope. On a Sunday, the body of Christ gathers, and that is good. But on Monday, Jesus hits the road in you. On Monday, Jesus is incarnate in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, in our offices, in our carpool rides. On Monday, he's, yes, even in your carpool ride. No fancy gestures other than waving to other motorists. On a Monday, here's the secret strategy. You're turned loose as a righteous community. You get turned loose as a righteous community. One is ordered to put themselves behind to serve in order to serve who? Jesus, the kingdom, and therefore others in the way that he calls us to that is countercultural to the way in which the world looks. That's an alternative society starting. And Jesus said our mission was to be these kingdom bearers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not a passive statement to Lord, make it all right one day. That is you, as Jesus instructed the disciples to pray, saying, here I am. Your kingdom come, your will be done in and through me. Where to be these kingdom bearers? I haven't been on an international flight for a while. The last one I tried to take, I got stuck at the gate with COVID. But I'm heading on an international flight uh, at the end of this year. And uh, you know what it's like when you get on a, you know, you can do a domestic flight, it's a little bit different. You walk past about three or four rows of kind of slightly larger chairs and then you're back in, you know, to... On, a, on an international flight, it's, it's more obvious. You might get up towards the front on the entrance of the plane, but there's soon a decision when they look at your boarding card as to whether you turn left or you turn right. If you turn left, you're turning left up into that wonderful, beautiful, amazing zone where you have your own private flight attendant, where you have, you're sitting in a throne that turns into a bed. You're eating off China and drinking from crystal and someone asks you actually what you'd like to eat. Wow. When you turn right, <coughs> things are a little bit different. It's cattle class back there. They don't call it cattle class. That's what we know it as. Economy. You're eating out of a paper bag. <laughs> Up front, they get these nice, moist, warm towels in order to just freshen themselves up. We just sit in our sweat. You pay money to watch something and their headphones don't even work. First class, it's closed off by the rest of the cabin by that curtain 
an iron curtain. I've tried to get past that curtain. It's just like the Holy of Holies up there. You can't go past because you're in the court of the Gentiles. One day Jesus is leaving to come to earth. And the angels, they say, uh, you'll be traveling first class, of course. Um, I don't think so. I think maybe let's go, uh, let's go the carpenter route. No place in which to lay my head. Yeah, maybe economy, a manger, a stable. Yeah, I think I'll go cattle class. And that's how he came to earth. And no one recognized him as the Messiah because no one expected the Messiah to fly economy. James and John, they one day, they come and ask him, hey, can, can, can we fly first class with you in the kingdom? <laughs> of course, the other 10, they're not happy. They say, well, there's a lot of frequent flyer points around here, guys. Why should those two sit up front? They weren't indignant at the two brothers. They just made the ask. They were still wondering where they were in the pecking order. Because isn't it true that there's a pecking order? Matthew said to James and John at that point, you know that the rulers, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Think back to the letter in Colossae now. Husbands, fathers, masters, they lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's always a pecking order going on somewhere. You can see it in subtle, subtle ways. Who gives way when two people are talking to let the other person have their say? Whose jokes are laughed at, whose aren't? You see things going on in offices, who's allowed to ramble on in conversation, who isn't, who has to say, I'm sorry, who doesn't. It's stronger by far than any law a government will ever pass. Nobody will violate it because everybody knows you'll get crushed by it. And Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority of them. And then he says these, four these words, four words that change everything. Not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you, River Life. Not so with you, follower of Jesus. Not so with you, not in your home, not in your office, not in your neighborhood, not in your church. Not so with you. He's abolishing the pecking order. He's calling for the creation of an alternative way of relating that will provide the stimulus for an alternative society, a society that expresses and incarnates the kingdom of God. Up there, coming down here, the kingdom of God's like an airline, I think he might say today. Where there is no first class, 
There is no second class. Everybody sits at the table together. It's kind of like Bonza Airlines, only with better food. Better yet, the kingdom of God is where people who have no money buy the most expensive tickets and get the best seats and give it to people they don't have any money at all. And people who have the power, instead of complaining about the service and how things tasted or what didn't come in time, they become the flight attendants to walk around to people who don't have much of a say and say, how may I help you? How can I serve you? And this is because God, the one who owns the airline, who is the pilot of the flight, is walking around with a moist towel and a basin washing people's feet. There's nothing like the kingdom of God. You won't see it anywhere in society other than through the people of the kingdom. You are people of an alternative kingdom. Live an alternative reality. Live alternative relationships. It can change society. Maybe you'll be called to bring an alternative society to women tra tra trapped in prostitution in Sonagachi, Kolkata. Maybe for those trapped in slavery, poverty. Perhaps you're called to bring an alternative society to your workplace, to your family, to your neighbourhood, as you live by a different set of values and relationships and you treat other people differently. This is what Paul is getting at. Don't distance yourself from the message that he's actually trying to say. It's different. We live in different times. But the message is the same. You are God's plan to an alternative society because you belong to an alternative kingdom. And it starts in how you live out your relationships with others. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, children to parents, parents to children, employer to employee. How's that gonna make a difference tomorrow? How's that gonna make a difference tomorrow? Is there something that needs to change? We know the system might need to change. Probably don't start there. What needs to change in here? in you what's Jesus been challenging you on as we've gone through this message let's pray Lord would you show us an alternative society seems like a pipe dream it seems like that's something that's just so far off a long way away but you started with just a few followers but when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, it started to change a whole society. Lord, we don't want to lose sight of who you called us to be by pretending that we were just meant to build this community when we gather together. If we know tomorrow, even this afternoon, you're sending us out to live an alternative reality. What do we need to change? What do we need to do to start that in our relationships? Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and reveal to us 
what might need to change in our heart attitude, in the words that we speak, in the way in which we speak them, in order to live with you as supreme and fully sufficient in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.